Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. lesson we talked about how Jesus prayed before big choices and you know it's kind of dangerous and it is perhaps unwise to try to make a big decision without spending time in prayer and by Jesus's example we always saw when he was faced with something a big challenge he kind of separated himself and he spent time in a season of in a season of prayer and if he prayed before big challenges how much more should we and in the second lesson was about how he prayed after being rejected. And rejection hurts bad. It hurts real bad. And um, Brother Rayleigh had brought out a point that it actually affects the same area of the brain that physical pain does. So that goes to show you that it's relative. It certainly is. And the best thing that we can do when we feel rejected is to return to the one who will never leave us or forsake us. And I love the um, example that he gave about Leah. And we know that she was rejected by her husband from day one of marriage. And that she gave him three sons. And she kind of named them along the lines of feelings of rejection until she turned her focus to God. And so when she bore the fourth fourth child, she named him Judah, meaning praise, because she had turned it around. And then the third lesson, if you guys missed it on Wednesday night, Brother Williams um, had preached about when Jesus prayed in personal trials, in personal trials. And we know firsthand that trials are difficult and that when we go through hard times, emotions can sometimes get the best of us. And that's why it's so important that we respond in the spirit. And sometimes if we can look beyond the trial, we'll find what the purpose is. Because trials are not for nothing. They will absolutely grow you and shape you. So I think it's safe to say that this series has had to speak to everybody in some way because there's no way I don't think I'm wrong in this to say that everybody here has had to make a choice that everybody here has had to face rejection or gone through some trial and to know that Jesus is our greatest example he said in John 13:15, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you he is our greatest example and today's lesson we're going to finish it off is no different We're going to talk about when Jesus was wronged, when he was wronged. And he is our greatest example once again. So I ask you, have you been mistreated? Ever? Ever lied about? Ever looked down upon? Maybe stabbed in the back? Maybe? If you haven't, I'd really like to talk to you. (laughs) I just would like to know what, what the difference is. Now, I'm not talking about something different where somebody took your seat or, you know, you lost a few pounds and nobody noticed. <laughs> I'm not talking about that. But if you truly, truly know hurt, you know what I'm talking about. So if you want to turn with me to our text, we're going to go to Luke chapter 17. And we're going to read the first four verses to hear about what Jesus really felt about when we're wronged. And the Bible says, 
talks about Jesus when he said to the disciples, it is impossible but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Verse 3, take heed to yourself. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again and say to thee, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. So these first four verses, Jesus addresses a whole bunch of stuff, and we'll, we'll talk about it. But he addresses the inevitable, I can't say the word, it's inevitable that you're going to be offended. He also issued a warning to those that offend, and then he taught the disciples how to handle the offense. So in the first verse, Jesus explains that hurt, persecution, offense, it's, it will happen. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. It's a matter of when. It's absolutely inevitable. Nobody's going to be immune from it. It's going to happen. And if there's anybody in here that's like me, I kind of want to know why. <laughs> I, 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 don't know, I don't know why I'm like that, but I always want to understand why. And I'll, I'll admit that um, I've always been like that. I've always been one to ask why. My poor husband, <laughs> when we got married, I was 18, but I've probably seen more like five because I would just ask him the silly, well, why this? Why do you think it's just crazy stuff? Like, you know, nothing about, like, relationships, but just, hey, what about that mailbox? Why? Just absolutely absurd stuff. Like, he had all the answers. I had so much trust and faith in his intelligence. <laughs> but he, he, almost 21 years later, he got through it, and I'm being paid back with Sadie and Paisley doing the same thing. <laughs> but as a, a professional overthinker and a semi-subject matter expert, I could definitely give you my perspectives of why I think people hurt one another or mistreat or wrong each other, but honestly and truly, why, you have to understand this, is why the why part of it can't be your focus. Um, and I don't say that to be unkind, and I don't, I don't say that to minimize whatever situation that you've gone through. Because many times we don't know why, and sometimes we're not going to ever know why. It won't be revealed. But what I can tell you that through being wrong, what I have learned and what I have understood and what I have accepted is that offense happens. Hurt happens. Because honestly, we live in a fallen world. We live in a world where people sin. We live in a world where, unfortunately, people lie, cheat, and steal, and it hurts. But sometimes the why isn't even about us. So sometimes, you know, well, why didn't that person talk to me? It really probably has nothing to do with you, okay? So those small offenses, we really can easier just get over because sometimes you don't know what they're going through, and it really had nothing to do with you. Or the social media world has just totally taken this out of proportion. Well, that person posted that, and that post was about me. It probably had nothing to do with you. So before you repost something in a very cryptic and, you know, vague and passive-aggressive post, remember that first. And sometimes, you know, people, they're really just honestly making assumptions or judgments without having all the facts. I'll tell you, when Zach first started kindergarten, little five-year-old boy, at the time, we thought that his behavior was um, just toddler behavior. You know, we'd ask the pediatrician, he's, he's going to outgrow certain things, and, and that's really what we did. We knew he had some sensory issues. 
we were going to occupational therapy for that, but we just thought, you know, Riley, he, we knew he wasn't anything like Riley, we, but he's his own person. And so he'll, you know, at his time, he'll outgrow things. And so we just took the patient route and went that way. So he started kindergarten at the same school that Riley went to, his great school. Riley had been there three years. He had a really sweet teacher. And, um, but there was a new principal there the year that he started. And to say that she was strict is just giving her a compliment. Um, <laughs> I would get calls for her from her, from the principal. I don't know that she had any other job to do but, but to watch Zachary. But um, it probably took a full time, probably took that, now looking back at it. But I would get calls from her almost daily that things like this, it, and it would, now I'm not saying he's always innocent, and I'm not saying that there wasn't times where, you know, he acted out. But I would get calls about how his class was walking to a certain area and they passed the playground, so he ran to the slide. I see that he's five and, you know, it's appealing to a five. That's how I saw it. But to her, it was unsafe. I'd get a call that he went to the bathroom at lunchtime and he wandered and found himself out in the front parking lot by himself. And, again, you need to pick your son up. He is unsafe. And I'm thinking, well, your school is unsafe, but I didn't tell her that. You know, but I'd get calls and, you know, he, one day she called me. She said, he is destroying artwork. And I thought, oh, my goodness. What has he done? You know, and it ended up being that the one of the classes had um, made little pictures from Skittles, the candy, and um, and so they had them at eye level on the wall, and he went by and was just <laughs> having a snack, but he was destroying artwork, and so he would get he would honestly at five years old get suspended, and I'm gonna tell you as a as a parent it devastated me. And one day I sat with her and she told me, she said, Zachary is the worst kid in the entire school. I promise that is her exact words. And I'll tell you, it still breaks my heart. I still get a little emotional about it. It broke my heart. It wounded me and it hurt. And I'll tell you, I never, I never backlashed at her. I just was so apologetic. I tried everything I could to make things right with her. I wrote letters, asked to help in any way. Just try to make things right. And the truth is, honestly, she was just making assumptions and judgments without really knowing him without or even trying to know him. And at times, I think, honestly, we've probably all made that mistake. But I've also learned through a very recent hurt, more, not more recent hurt than that, was focusing on why or how does this happen. It's, it's a trap. Okay, and I want you to hear me out. It's a trick of the enemy because when you don't understand and you're leaning on your understanding to try to figure something out, it will absolutely consume you. It's going to lead to anger, maybe some jealousy or resentment, even a victim's mentality. Why me? How could this happen to me? And I've been transparent before, and I've told you a few years ago, I battled with depression, and honestly, it stemmed because somebody did me wrong. Somebody that I was close with, somebody that I loved, somebody that I invested my life into just completely did me wrong. And I fell into a trap, and that trap led me to a bad pit of depression that I didn't even realize. So the Bible says, be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, right? So the emotions, we can feel depressed, we can feel angry. But it doesn't mean we have to go anywhere beyond that to sin not, to not let the sun go down on our wrath because it follows, that scripture follows with this, neither give place to the devil. 
because that's the trap he wants to put you in when you focus on why or, or how. And I want you to think of it like this. Think if you've got a diagnosis and it's a life-threatening disease, your focus isn't going to be on, well, why? Why me or how? How did this happen to me? Your focus is on how do I get rid of it? How do I get rid of it? And it's the same thing when you realize, hey, I've been wronged. It's not, well, why me? Or It's how do I deal with it? How do I get rid of these feelings of, of anger or hurt? How do I deal with it? How do I get rid of it? Because the last thing I want to be happen to me is to be tricked and to fall into the devil's trap because that is not for me. And it's not for any of us. So Jesus says in this passage that no one's immune from being disliked. No one's immune from being looked down on or maybe falsely accused. But he wanted his disciples to be aware that it's going to happen. I'm telling you now it's going to happen. And he wanted them to be on guard. So go ahead and prepare. Know that it's going to happen. Don't fall into the trap. And he finishes with the first verse with this warning. He said, woe to the offender. Okay. In other words, don't let that offender be you. Yes, you're going to be offended, but that doesn't give you the license to offend. You know, there's, sin is inevitable, but it doesn't excuse the sinner. It's that same concept. Don't let the offender be you. Someone hurt you, don't hurt them back. Don't let the offender be you. When we've been wrong, there's a temptation to join in and to fight back. But remember that that's a trap. You know, some people, they're involved in sin and they want to involve others. Some people are careless and they're going to cause other, other people to stumble. Don't let that be you. So don't be that person because he gave a very serious picture, very tragic picture of, of what offenders were. And he said it would be better to, to put tie a millstone, which in that day was the heaviest thing that they actually had, to tie that around and cast them into the sea. Well, you know what's going to happen. They're going to sink really fast. And they're going to reach the bottom really fast, probably before anybody can ever reach them and save them. So don't be offender. Be on guard. And don't fall into the trap of wanting to fight back. So then we ask, well, then what are we supposed to do? Because it's our natural thing to, oh, I'm going to get them back. So what do we do? So he explains that in verse 3 and 4. How do we handle the offenders? The first things first is he said, take heed to yourself. So I'm the one that's wrong. Why do I have to take heed to myself? You know, I'm the innocent one here. Because it's always smart. You have to examine yourself first. Check your attitude. Check your words. My actions, my reactions. It's that whole, did I think before I, before I said anything? Do I need to take a chill pill? You know, do I need to take a breather? But if you weren't aware or on guard before the offense, now's that good time to do that. Now's a good time to go ahead, check yourself, guard against the temptation to join in, guard against the temptation to revenge or even hold a grudge. And then secondly, he said, go to them. Go to them. Like I said, it's not always about you. And sometimes actually going to that person and clearing the air, it stops the offenses without further damage. I believe that. And I think all of us can appreciate a measure of grace being given to us. So we need to be able to extend that as well. So hear them out and lastly, forgive them. And he was pretty specific. He said seven times. And I think, I don't know if you know this, but in that day there was actually a law. A Hebrew law says forgive someone five times in a day. Well, you know Jesus. He's going to go a little bit above that. Jesus says, I, I love somebody and we're going to just kind of go a little bit beyond that. And that's what he said. No, you don't go five. And he wasn't trying to be, you know, bad against the law. But 
You do seven. You do more than what's required. So I know it sounds difficult, but it's not impossible. God is always ready, and he's willing to forgive us at all times, and so we ought to be able to forgive others. Forgiven people ought to be forgiving people because we may be, we may be the one who needs that grace tomorrow. And I'll tell you that's exactly what happened with the principal, the story with the principal. So um, I was driving back and forth at the time. We lived in Home Assassin, and I had just opened up an office in, in Chiefland. And so I was driving north, and I was coming through Crystal River. And I passed the principal going headed south. Um, and I'm going to be completely honest. The first emotion that I felt was a little bit of rage when I saw her. <laughs> like I could have just throat punched her if I was close enough. But immediately, the Holy Ghost checked me, and I can tell you right there in the car, I just started weeping, and I prayed, and I just remember saying, I forgive you, I forgive you, Donnie Brown, I forgive you, over and over and over again. Within a week of that happening, the superintendent of schools for Levy County and the principal of Chiefland Elementary came into my new office, just introduced themselves, tell how glad that they were that the credit union finally came to Levy County, and within minutes of talking to them, I found out that the principal also had four children, three of the same age and grade, and they asked me to bring my children to their school that they would take care of them. And they have. Wow. They have. First day of school, I was so scared to bring them. I was so scared. And I brought them and I left them in her hands. And she was right there. The principal met me right there to take my kids. And um, I was so scared to leave them. And I remember walking away and just praying, God, hold him. And he said, you left him with an angel. Her name was Angel. <laughs> and you left him with an angel. And he has kept them. He has kept them. And I'm so thankful for it. I'm so thankful how he works things out. He will work things out. So Jesus spoke these words that we read in Luke 17 prior to his biggest hurt and betrayal. Before he even went through it. I don't think that it was a coincidence that he did that because he taught things and he lived by it. His example, when he said it, he lived by it. And so in just five chapters later, in Luke chapter 22, we really get to know Judas. We get to know Judas. And the thing that gets me about Judas is that he wasn't, like, tricked. He wasn't prodded. He wasn't in some moment of desperation just accidentally made a mistake. He offered and agreed to betray Jesus. It was intentional. It was planned. It was premeditated. Betrayal by his closest, one of his closest friends. And then a little bit later, we, so we're introduced to him. We know what his plot is. And later in that same chapter, we find Jesus and all of the disciples, including Judas, together in a room that we commonly refer to as the Last Supper. Now look, Jesus was there. He knew. He knew that Judas was going to betray him. And he knew that he was going to be stabbed in the back by someone who he poured his life into. Yet knowing all of this, and just hours before Judas would betray him with a kiss, Judas sat at the same table. That Jesus sat at the same table with Judas Jesus served the disciples, and he served Judas too. He fed Judas. He prayed for Judas. He washed Judas's feet too. 
Jesus' example of love and forgiveness is almost unfathomable. To feed a mouth that deceives you? To wash the feet of a traitor? To forgive the vilest of betrayal? Sometimes that's a little hard to comprehend. The next chapter in Luke 23, Jesus goes on trial. And he goes before Pilate and Herod. And they both find him innocent, but the crowd demands that he's crucified. So in an attempt to absolve himself, we know Pilate washes his hands, but he still sends Jesus to the cross. In an attempt to absolve the world, Jesus goes to the cross, takes the nails, and sheds his blood to wash us. And here is where the greatest miracle of the cross was fulfilled. It wasn't the darkness that came. It wasn't the earthquake. It wasn't even the curtain tearing. It was the miracle of forgiveness. After the betrayal and the denial of those closest to him, after an illegal trial and the wrongful judgment of the government, after the hatred of the crowd, after the torment and the abuse of the soldiers and the pain of an unjust punishment, Jesus utters these words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That wrecks me. In the middle of it all. So we know he dies and he's buried. And he's going to be in this tomb. And the Sabbath comes so everybody has to rest according to Hebrew law. In the next chapter, the Sabbath is over. So the women get up and they go to the tomb and they find it empty. And they run to tell the disciples. And the disciples didn't believe him. And just a word to the ladies, you do have a gift of faith. Activate it and use it, even if you're mocked or doubted. When people don't believe the faith, you just keep on going. Don't lose that lifeline. Then Peter, the one who cursed him and denied him three times, he ran and he saw the empty tomb. He, He saw that they were right. Now Judas and Peter were both guilty of denying Jesus in their own way. Both of them. But there is a difference between Peter and Judas. Judas, it was intentional. He just, he plainly just had a bad heart. Peter, Peter had just a bad day. Long before that bad day, Jesus called Peter a rock and he built his church upon him and he gave him the keys to the kingdom. And then after that bad day, Peter received the gift of the Holy Ghost and he preached the day of Pentecost. So know the Peters from the Judases in your life. And that same day, Jesus appeared to a couple of people and he joined them on their walk to Emmaus, seven miles He walked with these people. Now, you would think, being that he's just resurrected, that they would be so ecstatic to see him. Like, oh, my goodness. Oh, my, it's Jesus, and he's back. Just like he said. But they didn't recognize him. Ouch. Ouch. Well, that hurts a little bit. So they walked together, and they're telling Jesus all about Jesus and all about their doubts and their disappointments. You know, oh, I wish it was true. You know, he died. But, you know, we were hoping he was going to be the Messiah, like he said. And, oh, ouch. <laughs> Ow. You would think that all the hurt and doubt would end when Jesus died, but here it just keeps on going. Sure. But Jesus wasn't offended that they didn't recognize him. Jesus wasn't upset by their disappointments or their complaints. Instead, without just revealing who he is, like, hello, you're talking to me. It's so neat because he gives them a Bible study (laughs) of who he is going all the way back to Moses and the prophets. So they finally get to their destination. 
And the coolest thing happens. They, he's he's going to leave. He's going to keep going. But they said, no, 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 we really enjoy your company. Stay with us. So they're the host. He's the guest. But the amazing thing that happens is those roles get reversed. Jesus becomes the host, and they become the guest. The Bible says, there's two verses I want to read. Luke 24, verse 30 and 31. Verse 30 says, and it came to pass as he sat at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and break and gave it to them. That's what the host does. So he took the bread. He served them. But isn't that just Jesus, Jesus, Jesus being Jesus? He came to serve and not be served. Verse 31 says, and their eyes were open and they knew him. That, that easy. Now, the Bible doesn't clearly state this, but I want to make this suggestion. In those days, they broke bread. They literally broke bread. It, they took the bread, and they broke it, yeah. and then they gave it. Okay, so I just want to make the suggestion, the possibility that they recognized him, that he gave it, and they saw the scars. And they saw the scars. He walked with them for seven miles talking about who he was, but they couldn't comprehend it by his words alone. But what his words couldn't say and couldn't tell them, they saw it in his scars. Because some things you know can't be explained. Some things have to be experienced. And that's what scars do. They tell a story. They show what you've been through. They're visible proof of healing. That's what they do. And later, Jesus appeared to the disciples, and he showed them the scars, too. He said, look at the scars. Look at where they hurt me. Look at where the nails held me. After all he endured, after being wrong, he forgave. He was healed. So to those ones, if you've been wounded, where have you been wounded? Because I want you to know that there's healing and forgiveness. Don't stay wounded. Don't keep picking at it. Wounds can't heal if you're messing with them. And I know that your wounds sometimes isn't your fault. Most times they're probably not. I know we do have self-inflicted wounds, and it's important to recognize that. But most of our wounds are probably not our fault. But our healing, definitely our responsibility. So don't stay wounded when there's healing in his hands. To be free, you've got to forgive. Forgive people even when they're not sorry because holding on to it hurts you. They're not, they're not bothered at all. I promise you that. But it hurts you. Forgiveness doesn't mean that it didn't happen. It's not ignoring the pain. It doesn't excuse someone's behavior. It protects your heart and prevents their behaviors from, from tearing your heart apart, from destroying your heart. I think about when Jesus forgave them. He didn't say that they were innocent. Because if they were innocent, they wouldn't have needed forgiveness. He wouldn't have asked for their forgiveness. They may not have known what they did, like he said, but they had the opportunity to know, and that's why they needed forgiveness. He lived among them. He preached. He performed miracles in their sight. They had the ability to know. So they, had, so they were definitely guilty, and he forgave them. And I think it's important not only that he forgave them, but the fact that he forgave them in the process of them killing him. Not six months later, not 15 years later. Right then in the midst of the offense, the forgiveness was laid out. 
Forgiveness is saying, I refuse to let something wound me forever. Forgiveness is saying, those nails, they're not there anymore. They're not there. They can't hold me down to it anymore. They can't hold me to the offense. They can't hold me to what was the pain. That's what it's saying. It's time for me to be free. So not only have you suffered some wounds, but you've probably afflicted some too, if you're honest. So to the offender, I just want to say there's unresolved guilt. And unresolved guilt is going to weigh you down to where you probably won't even recognize it anymore. Makes you miserable. And some of the misery comes because you hold on to the guilt. No, you can't go back and change it. But you can ask for forgiveness. And it's key because our relationship with God is often contingent upon our relationship with others. How many times in the Bible does it say forgive and you'll be forgiven? Or reconcile with your brother before you come bring your, your offering. Right, right. You can't resolve your differences with God if you're unwilling to resolve your differences with others. You can't be in fellowship with God if you're not in fellowship with others over offenses. The Bible says, James 5.16, confess your faults one to another. Go to that person. Confess your faults one to another. And it continues to say that you may be healed. I'm going to close. It's going to take a couple minutes. I want to tell you a story. The church I grew up with, I grew up with this wonderful family, a mom and a dad, and three beautiful, beautiful girls that I grew up with. They were friends, but they were more like family. Those three girls, I was the age of the oldest, and then I'm telling you, like, a year apart. And um, beautiful, long, thick, black hair, funny. They were just always enjoyable to be around, good family to have in the church. And um, Thanksgiving week in 2002, Julie, who was the youngest, she was 18 at the time, and she was driving home from her sister's house. And um, she was, we lived in Tampa, so she was driving up the interstate, headed north, and a 19-year-old man um, got on the interstate on the wrong ramp. And um, he hit Julie's car head on at a very high rate of speed. He'd been drinking and he wasn't injured. Julie was killed, tragically killed. And the accident report not only revealed that his blood alcohol level was at 0.22, but it also said that he confessed, that he knew better, and that he was concerned about Julie's family. And against the advisement of his attorneys, he visited Julie's family to um, apologize, deeply apologize, and he, he asked them for forgiveness. He also visited high schools to speak to teenagers about the dangers of, of driving drunk. And I remember he said, one of the things that stuck out to me, he, says it, he said, it will happen to you. Don't think that it can't happen to you because it can happen to you. Oh, that stuck with me. But he did all of this before his trial before he was ever convicted, before he was found guilty or not, before he knew what a sentence was, he did all this before. And the judge who heard his case was a no-nonsense judge. He had heard a thousand drunk driving cases before, and he felt deeply that you take a life, you're going to have a stiff penalty to pay. But with the support of Julie's family, the, the judge showed leniency, and John served just under a year. This tragedy led, this is the most important part of the story, this tragedy led his career as an addiction counselor. Wow. Today he has his own treatment center. Wow. 
He dedicates his life to help people going down the wrong path. As a matter of fact, just recently, Julie's nephew was battling an addiction issue, and the person who helped him with it was John, the man who killed his aunt. Her family says that that's just part of the forgiveness story. John, they said John asked for and received forgiveness. So I just want to stop and say the, the only cure for the offender and the offended is forgiveness. Sometimes we've got to put down the nails. If we're offended, put down the nails. If you're an offender, put the nails down. People aren't your enemy. People are not your enemy. Your spouse isn't your enemy. Your neighbor's not your enemy. Your coworker's not your enemy. The devil is your enemy, the one who wants to set that trap for you to fall in. I'll tell you, after the first sin, God said that he put enmity between the serpent and the woman, not between Adam and Eve. There was not an enemy between Adam and Eve. He said, I put the enmity between the serpent and the woman. Ladies especially, listen to that. That's forever binding. He is always going to be your enemy. So forgive people. He's your enemy. Forgive people. Forgive everybody else. Lewis B. Smead said this, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that that prisoner was you. So how many times have maybe we been the Judas and Jesus fed us when we didn't deserve it? How many times were we Peter and just got so angry and frustrated and acted out and we needed to be the free, we needed to be forgiven. But to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that that prisoner was you. Don't fall into the devil's trap and fight back. Don't stoop to that level and don't give up. Don't give up quitting. Will tell your accuser something else that they got you and they didn't. So continue to do the right things that'll cause them to doubt and that'll hold your testimony up. And then don't let it define you. Don't let it define you. Remember, Peter still preached the day of Pentecost. Amen. Aren't you thankful for a forgiveness? This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.